Welcome to my show, The Green Link, where environmental community leaders share their passion, interest, and amazing work through this channel and continue to guide and inspire everyone around them. I'm Nishan Bardwaj, and today I have Vosita Wijanayaka. Vosita is the executive director of SlyCan Trust, a nonprofit think tank focusing on climate change, sustainable development, biodiversity, ecosystem conservation, social justice, and animal welfare. She's an attorney at law specializing in public international law with a focus on international environmental law, UN human rights law, refugee law, and EU law. She has over a decade of experience in working on climate change at national and international level. Thanks for coming to my show. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. Growing up, did you picture yourself working in the field you're working in now? Well, I didn't picture myself working exclusively or majority of my time on climate change and environment. I, I think I picture myself more involved in music, theater, and uh, potentially, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> I guess singing and, and writing books, I guess that that was more what I thought I would do growing up. So what motivated you to pick this field of work? Um, so working on climate change was kind of an accident um, because I actually went for a youth gathering that was held in 2009, which was primarily on climate change after finishing my legal studies. And there I realized that most of the work that I do or did at that point were related to the things that were being discussed. And there was at that point as well as there are now different dimensions to work on climate change. So most of the stuff I've done up to that point connected and there was like a strong connection I had with the people that I met. Um, And it was also partially out of duty that I started this work because the person who was supposed to go from Sri Lanka with me had not joined. And then I, I kind of took over coordination, coordination and related work from that point on. And then it kind of became um, something I liked doing. So I continued doing. So it started with this research I did on biodiversity and related environmental law, which led me to apply for this youth forum and then understand how it works regionally and globally, the work related to climate change as well as national level. Um, So that's how I got interested in the topic and then chose it to be my key thing. I read about SciCan Trust that is working to address the impacts of climate change, animal welfare, as well as social and economic issues. What is SciCan Trust and what's your role in it? Well, I work as the executive director of Slack and Trust, and uh, we work on different topics that relate to climate change and development. So it started as a network at one point, which grew into a trust and then a think tank. So the registered entity started in 2015 in the form of a trust, and the mandate or the focus has been the same. But it moved towards more of a policy research entity, which does policy interventions research based on evidence on the ground. So we work in implementing projects as well as uh, developing research products, capacity building, uh, skill development. So the work that I do with Slack and Trust actually relates to everything. But I focus as themes primarily on adaptation and resilience, sustainable development, um, legal and policy processes at national and international uh, level, 
youth empowerment, uh, stakeholder engagement. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's a wider spectrum of things that I do, but I lead the work. It's like in trust. In your work, you focus on resilience building of vulnerable communities. How does this work? So, as you know, climate change is impacting everyone across the world, but those who are most vulnerable are the ones that have existing vulnerabilities like socioeconomic vulnerabilities. It could be people with physical uh, needs more than the others, and also like who are uh, economically not better placed compared to others. Um, so resilience building would need to focus on all these aspects and how climate risk management could work, climate and disaster risk management. Um, and the work that we do at Slack and Trust takes into account all these aspects. So we look at what are the climate risks that are existing, um, then we identify what are the adaptive capacities, the actions to be taken to build the capacity of individuals, the systems that are the institutional systems, uh, and then identify different measures that could contribute to building resilience. And these measures could be providing certain skills that would uh, help them to build resilience as well as building their economic capacity. So economic empowerment, um, providing livelihoods or enhancing the existing livelihoods, uh, then advocating or uh, working on policy changes that need to be brought, like social protection that could be enhanced, uh, climate and risk finance processes. Um, so all these come together when we're working on climate resilience. And what we do goes across evidence-based actions, uh, policy interventions, capacity building actions, identifying stakeholders and seeing how they can be involved and participate in the decision-making processes, how, how the decisions could be gender responsive, for example. How can you be more involved? What kind of capacities might be needed by communities? They could build their livelihoods and then go towards building resilience. So these are some of the stuff we do. That's very interesting and inspiring. And in your research and policy work at Slycan Trust, you work on the issue of human mobility. Could you please elaborate on the work you do and how climate change induces human migration? Yeah, so thank you, Shan. Um, yeah, so you might have heard about refugees, right? And, and this is under international law and this is something I've worked on as well. But when we talk about climate change and how migration works, it's a bit different because existing laws of refugees um, and people who are on the move do not apply in certain circumstances and the criteria might not fit all those who are impacted by climate change. So the work that we're doing uh, includes internal displacement due to environmental reasons, and it could be transboundary. Uh, so for example, you might be moving from one country to the other, but it not, it's not necessarily within the reasons that would be because of what would fall in line with the refugee laws. Could be also because of something that falls in line with this, but it could be also connected to a climate-induced reason. So what we're looking at in our work is documenting case studies, understanding the policy structures of how uh, internal migration or even migration to other countries can be caused because of environmental and climate impacts, and then how policies and processes that are there could help these communities that are impacted by uh, these threats or risks that make them have to make 
temporary changes as well as long-term changes. So for example, if you take one of our projects that focus on climate risk management in the agriculture sector, that focuses on how the agriculture sector is impacted by certain uh, climate impacts. So for example, droughts, floods, high levels of rain and all that. And then in doing these studies, we encounter that some people who are farmers, because they do not have a lot of income, have moved to different urban areas to do other things. So this could be taken as human mobility due to climate impacts. And then they do not have the skill set to adapt to a different um, livelihood. And they might not be set up to live in a different area. And then the people they leave behind, the families, uh, would also be highly vulnerable because they do not have the family structure that was there as well. So that could be one level of seeing how climate uh, change impacts human mobility. And there's also other stuff like how there could be a group of uh, people who are vulnerable to a drought in one country, uh, say, for example, a borderline country of Uganda that we have done research in. And they might come in as a, a, a larger group due to different reasons. It could be a it could be something directly related to climate change or it could be something else. So, for example, conflict or something else. But there would be certain reasons that impact them because they might not have had water to have their agriculture activities and other things like that. And, and then that's not the main. So you can't say the main reason for them to migrate or move was climate change, but there'll be something connected to it. So we're looking at how the country profiles, the policies in these countries um, could help uh, better address issues of human mobility and then how human settlements could be built in a manner that is building resilience of communities that need to move from one place to another? Or how can we help people adapt uh, without them having to move? Because it, it becomes an issue when people have to move because they do not have another option. So if there is an option to adapt ahead of the time that they have to move, uh, so building resilience in the communities that they are and addressing these vulnerabilities is also something we focus on. I saw one of the projects in Slycan Trust is to address climate change through mangroves conservation. This also provides livelihood and work to local communities. How does this process work? Do you suggest people make changes and work towards getting their voice heard in offices and high levels? Well, it's both actually. So um, as you may know, um, mangroves are one of the best solutions to address climate change because they have a high uh, carbon sequestration capacity. Um, and then there's also the the aspect of risk um, reduction or risk management through um, mangrove and biodiversity and ecosystem um, adaptation. So our work focuses on how residents can build through conservation and restoration efforts of mangroves. Um, that would be like ecosystem based on nature based solutions. Uh, and then that links with sustainable development and the economic resilience I mentioned about earlier. So we support um, these communities to work with us to make decisions as to how the conservation and adaptation measures should work. And then we identify certain livelihoods that could connect with the ecosystem and the area that we focus on. So for example, right now we have about five, six sites we work in. And throughout we have certain elements in these projects that are that haven't changed. So for example, the participation of the community in adaptation and restoration activities. And, and also having youth 
capacity build, the community's capacity build and awareness created on the need to protect mangroves uh, and that how that could connect to sustainable development. And then we work with local uh, government systems um, to develop plans and um, also identify pollution control measures like say waste management measures where the community in this area could be part of the solution where they get livelihoods in this solution. Uh, then also identifying certain livelihoods that could be enhanced. So for example, it could be ecotourism. Uh, that's one of the things that we focus on. And then also, yeah, as I mentioned, waste management, as well as conservation efforts where they can be part of the monitoring and evaluation process. Um, so the work on these things that I mentioned happen at the local level as well as the national level. And they're also part of policy processes and capacity building needs that happen at national and international level as well, because these feed into the case study process, like, you know, sorry, these feed into the case study collections that are the identification of knowledge gaps that could be there for ecosystem-based adaptation or nature-based solutions. So, yeah, so it's, it's actually something not necessarily local, but also something that shares knowledge for other countries and other regions to build on and have their own solutions developed. But the short answer to the question is that we engage um, the community in community at all levels of finding solutions um, to climate change and in the mangrove projects that we do. They're part of conservation, they're part of monitoring and evaluation, they're part of decision making and awareness creation uh, that we do, and also outreach work as well. And the livelihoods are directly connected to these activities that we do. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that in my last episode with Ashwin Naidu, we actually talked about the loss of mangroves and saving fishing cats. It's so cool how many ways we can protect the environment and promote conservation. So I'm curious to know, how do you and the Slaycan Trust empower and provide a platform to the youth to bring changes to the environment around them? Um, yeah, so Ishan, following up on your um, comment, something I should have mentioned is um, the work that we do on mangroves has a strong link to biodiversity um, and biodiversity conservation. So for example, the sites that we do mangrove restoration in, uh, we conduct biodiversity assessments and identify the biodiversity, the species that are um, in these sites so that we can make sure that they are, the threats to them are also minimized or addressed uh, through solutions that we have uh, in the activities we do. So going to your question on youth engagement. Um, so as I mentioned, Slack and Trust initially was part of uh, a youth network, which was like a group of volunteers who worked on climate action. And then it moved to being a more structured, formalized process uh, that we work in. But we carry forward the component on youth um, into our work we do. So we focus on capacity building, awareness creation of youth, and then we do research focusing on youth. So for example, at the moment, we are uh, working on developing a climate change youth strategy with the government of Ghana and our local partners. Um, and then we're doing a research um, on youth engagement in climate action in Sri Lanka with the British Council and other um, stakeholders, key stakeholders, which should be um, finalized end of this month. And then we also work on having capacity building, continuous capacity building on technical aspects to those youth who would like to engage. So we have 
in-person work that we did before uh, COVID happened. And then now we have a lot of virtual sessions that we do as well as work with community um, youth that, that engage with us. So we also have this workshop that we do annually since 2016 as part of Psych and Trust work. Uh, it was initiated with the government of Sri Lanka in 2016. And uh, we work on selecting youth who want to engage based on a project application. And then we build a process that would support them in developing a proposal and then how um, different, different actors, say for example, organizations or um, technical experts could work with them to build uh, projects or enhance the project that's there. Um, so this year we've scaled it up and we had over 70 to 80 countries participating uh, in the Global Youth Forum on Climate Change. And um, this focused on four themes and then there was a voting process for the best proposals. And then now it's at this stage that the, the draft that was developed during the Global um, Youth Forum is being pitched for more comments so that we can identify certain aspects some actors could support to implement as well as um, some individuals, organizations who could support with technical support. And then you also look at how we can um, provide financial support very relevant to the projects that we have. Um, so for example, if you are working on mangroves restoration and there's a proposal that someone has submitted on mangrove restoration, or there's a group of youth who engage, who want to do mangrove restoration, then we'll bring them in and engage them in our activities. So um, there, there are a lot of activities that linked to youth empowerment, and this links to livelihood development and capacity building in terms of how they could engage in climate change uh, and taking action as well. So not climate change <laughs> engagement, not creating climate change, but uh, addressing uh, the impacts of climate change. Um, so yeah, so there are different actions that we take, um, but every project that we do has a component that um, that links uh, youth engagement or capacity building or something related to youth that we do. It's really inspiring how all this work will build a clear path for next generations. So thank you for talking with me today about yourself and amazing work at Sleekan Trust. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sean. It was lovely speaking with you as well. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Subscribe to my podcast if you enjoyed. Also, follow me on social media. My Instagram and Facebook is at thegreenlink2020 and my Snapchat is at thegreenlink. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.